0: welcome to sunday chats this is the podcast where you can listen back to interviews that i have done with new authors first broadcasted on all fm 96.9 on the radio or allfm.org if you're listening online what i love to do is introduce you dear listener to new authors Now on today's episode, this is a a replay of an interview that I did on the 3rd of September and it was a fantastic new author, paranormal expert by the name of Craig Bryant and we had a chat about his latest book which incorporates 15 years worth of paranormal investigation, True Life Stories. And his new book is called The Shadow Man of Accrington. So, this is my interview with the fantastic Craig and a little extract from his book
1: as well. Hi, Craig, welcome to All FM. Great to have you on the show today.
2: Thank you, thanks for having me on.
1: No problem. I'll- We're into September and we've got Halloween just around the corner, so to speak. So as the night's draw in, I think it's it's a great time for ghost stories. And um, that's exactly what you've written, isn't it? A book of ghost stories.
2: It is. um, And I live uh, very close to uh, Pendle Witch Country. I live very close to Pendle Hill. So um, I've grown up in in an area which has, has got a lot of legends and a lot of ghost stories sort of attached to it.
1: OK. And your latest book is called The Shadow Man of Accrington, isn't it? It
2: is. It is. It's, um, it's a collection of, of stories um, that I've uh, managed to sort of collect over It's probably about 30 years now, which is uh, a
1: long you know, time, give, isn't give, it? Give, oh, wow.
2: Giving away, away my age a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a collection of stories. Some of them are personal accounts. Um, So I have um, seen and witnessed um, paranormal activity um, myself a couple of times. Um, But there's also uh, stories from family. Um, uh, My wife's family lived in uh, an extremely old farmhouse, which was... um, absolutely full of poltergeist activity it was it was really haunted wow um, so this is
1: kind of chasing you around then, this paranormal
2: <laughs> way well, of it, it, it would seem to and, and strangely enough the, the more people that i spoke to when i was researching the book before i started writing it um, i was i was amazed at the number of people who actually approached me uh, and said well i've got something to tell you i've got a story to tell you or you know i live in a house which this has happened um, so, I, I, I found that the, the more people I spoke to, uh, the more stories I got, um, and it just seems to me that there's an awful lot of paranormal activity out there, and, and I think some people uh, just need the right person to talk to, you know, somebody who they can trust, who yes. doesn't think they're being a bit, bit bit crackers or a bit mad, you know. Well, yeah, uh, because I was going
1: to say, how easy is it to get people to actually open up about ghostly experiences?
2: um i tend to find that people do open up to me quite easily um because i am genuinely interested and genuinely um passionate about the subject i i believe that there are things out there that that we don't understand um i believe that that, you know things do happen um and i think that you know if if you've got a story that that you want to tell somebody um if, if they're sort of um uh, open to it if, if they if they want to listen to you, then it, it makes it easier for you to tell that story
1: definitely so i was actually going to ask you what inspired your um your love of the the paranormal or your desire to keep collecting these stories did, did it begin with the fact that as you've said you've been brought up in this kind of area that's been um surrounded with with myth or legend or of the pendle witches or was it a different reason that you became inspired with this
2: well no that that's that was definitely a part of it um I used to live in um, a, a town called uh, Accrington, which is um, obviously
1: title of is, the book. There's,
2: yeah, there's a there's a story in the book which which was really the sort of first paranormal experience I had. Um, it was when I was working at the um, the Conservative Club in in Accrington, um, and that's one of the stories in the book. Um, but my my granddad was was <laughs> my my granddad was very good at telling ghost stories. Um, okay. And he was very good at telling, um, that sort of like, you know, legends, local legends, and, mm. and that sort of thing. Um, and, and even as a small child, and I'm, when I look back on it, it's, I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't frighten me to death with the story he as a child, but I was fascinated by it. And, and I remember we, they used to have um, um, one of the old style uh, cast iron range cookers. Um, in in the house you know it was quite an old-fashioned house and and we used to sit in front of that oh that's the, a perfect the... setting isn't it yeah, for those yeah, stories fire <laughs> going. yeah exactly fire going the lights off um candles uh, i mean I, I grew up in the 1970s and of course we had quite a lot of um, power cuts so right. whenever there was a power cut and i was i was at, at me, my grandparents house they would get the candles out <laughs> and sit, sit in front of the fire and, and my granddad, Bill, off he'd go, starting telling the ghost stories. And talking oh, to, you know, brilliant. Sections and all that. So, so that sort of lived with me, really, for, for you know, all my life, ever since, ever since I was a child. Um, and I have to say, I'd, I'd had a few experiences myself, and, and it was strange, actually. I started about, about three or four years ago, I started getting in, in, into listening to... Um, paranormal uh, podcasts and paranormal radio shows and mm-hmm. and those of things um, and looking on YouTube because obviously now you know the uh, the whole thing around ghost hunting and everything else has, has I think it's gone out of hand you know a lot of it's just compar-
1: uh, commercialised isn't it in it some, is, some respects it is, yeah it, it
3: is
2: it is but there are some people out there that, that do genuine research um, and I sort of started to, you know getting into that that side of things and. And I I just sort of thought one day, I thought, I've got so many stories in my head that I really need to write them down. Mm. And and I started writing them down. And the more I wrote them down and the more I told people that I was writing a book on on the paranormal, the more people opened up to me. So family, for instance, and then there'd be friends and then friends of friends. People on social media would contact me. People contact me now by email because I have my own website and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that that was a sort of catalyst of it, really. I had all these stories, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to put these down on paper, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put them together in a book because I think that, that the stories in there are fascinating. Some of the stories that people have contacted me with, some of the houses that they've lived in that's had, um, paranormal activity um, has just been unbelievable. You know, the um, the the activity has just you know, been been incredible.
1: Wow. So, what I was wondering as well are all these stories actually set in and around the Lancashire area, or do some of them go further afield?
2: No, they're all they're all set um, apart from one, which is a, which is a personal story. Um, every single one of them is set sort of around uh, the East Lancashire area um so around um the towns of Accrington, um Blackburn, Burnley, uh, Helmshaw, Haslington, uh Pendle, the area of Pendle, Pendle Hill. Um and there's just one story of um a time that I actually stayed in a uh, in a cottage in um on the east coast of, of Yorkshire and it, it was such a bizarre experience that that I thought I'd put it in the book anyway because it was a personal story. But um, 95% of the stories in there are from the Lancashire area, yeah.
1: That's absolutely fascinating. I mean, what, in your opinion, makes Lancashire so haunted? Do you think it's all come from the, the Pendle Hill stories and reverberated?
2: Um, well, the, the, the Pendle Witches is interesting because a lot of people um, think of, of the Pendle Witches as, as being a paranormal story. Um, you know and, and being a lot of ghosts involved you know, and and that sort of thing. Mm. But actually in, in, in reality the Pendle Witches was it's it, it was it was something that happened because of, of the social um makeup of the area at the time. Um and, and there was a lot it, it, the thing about the Pendle Witches was that they you know they they, they genuinely believed um that they could practice whip witch- Witchcraft.
1: So but, they were real witches then, they weren't like medicine women or something like that that were perceived in, in a, an evil way. They actually really were.
2: No, they weren't. They were medicine women who were perceived in, in an evil way. Right. They, 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 they were, they were the, the within the communities. Um, you, you've, you've got to remember that in, in 1612, when the, the witch trials took place, um, the area of Lancashire was, was nowhere near as populated as it is now. It was only... In the Industrial Revolution, that that we started getting the towns of Manchester and, and the East mill towns and cotton growing mm. up, and in fact, in in the early 17th century, um, the area around Pen um, was actually it, it it was seen as being quite a dangerous place um, to, okay. to travel through. Is, is it because the, it was so
1: quiet and isolated, or something else?
2: yeah no it, it it was it was just it was just because there was you know there was there was only very small um uh communities there were you know dotted isolated um little villages um there weren't even any any towns as such they were just they were just villages and and these these people were were the sort of you know within the communities they were the ones that that people used to go to if if there was something wrong with them so so they were sort of like the local medicine women. Mm. But, but but they also used to um used to go to them for things like you know they, they, they did genuinely believe in sort of like portions and, and okay. cells and all, and all that sort of thing but it but it was all into it in, in, into all of them with um uh not, not with paranormality as such but just what they believed it, Okay. It, you know it was just sort of like um uh country craft if you like you know using herbs and yeah and all that sort of stuff to, to treat illnesses and yeah and, and, and so on so so maybe they
1: were a bit more educated then did they always live in that little village or were they from elsewhere and got some kind of ed- education
2: no no they, they, they were all um they were all born in the area they were, they were actually not very well educated at all okay um, it, it was just the um the skills that, that, that they had or the knowledge that they had was was passed down from generation to generation. And in fact they used to spend because because they lived in such abject poverty, um they used to spend a lot of time begging. There was um there was a road that ran from uh, from Burnley through to Halifax and right. it, it was it was a merchant's road and they used to spend a lot of time begging on that road um because the merchant used to pass through. Um and and it was one particular incident with a merchant that started the whole uh, Pendle witch story off. So, so there wasn't. It, it, all, all, although they did genuinely believe that they were in league with the devil to a certain degree, okay. um, because they used to, they used to make um, effigies of people. So let's let's say for instance that.
1: Oh, do you mean they, like we, voodoo or something?
2: Yeah. So let's say for instance, back in sixteen twelve, you had a bit of a um, thing going on with your navy You didn't, you didn't like your neighbour. You'd you'd go to to one of these wise women and. You would pay them to make like um, a clay doll or a clay picture, as we call it, of yeah. that person, um, and then they would inflict damage on that that clay picture yeah. um, to to inflict damage on on the person that, that you didn't like. Mm. Um, and and there were many stories of that, that came out during the trials of instances where they would actually crumble these clay pictures and throw them in the fire. Okay, and then the person that it was supposed to represent sadly died. I now, see course, I was going to
1: say the intention of that's one thing, but was there an actual physical impact on on these people, so there was
2: there was whether it had anything to do with um, uh, these practices is is difficult to tell um, it's more likely that it it, it was uh, unfortunate timing, so for instance, one of the um when, when, when it all started, um, there was a, a merchant who was travelling from Halifax through the Pendle area to Burnley, um, and he was stopped by uh, two of the, the the main characters who were um, arrested and tried. Um, mm. uh, Je, uh, Jeanette Device was one of them, and uh, Dendyke, who was her, uh, she was known, known as Dendyke, she was her grandmother. Um, okay. And and they were begging on the road, and they stopped um, this merchant who was called John Law, and they asked him for for some uh, they asked him to buy some pins, because they used to use pins in in the um, in the rituals in the in inverted commas magic that they used yeah. to, that they used to uh, do, and he refused, and, and and as he was riding off on his horse, um, he actually had a stroke and fell off his horse. Oh gosh um and he managed to get himself to uh, a local pub um and and, and of course them dark and genetic Device were were blamed for, for his illness because because he hadn't bought anything off of them. they put a curse on it
1: they it were already known in the area by this they, time
2: yeah they were already known so so that's how the whole thing started so although during the trial there was all sorts of fantastic um Accusations came out about witchcraft and about being in league with the devil and about having um, the devil come to them in the form of uh, black dogs or various different animals, normally normally dogs, but cats as well, which is where oh, the oh, witch is familiar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that's where that, that association with cats comes from, black cats. Um, yeah, So, so there was... There's all sorts of accusations and counter accusations, and and there was there was quite a lot of local characters who who were well known um, to sort of you know be involved in these sort of things were were arrested and and, and tried um, at Lancaster, and they were all uh, hanged. But the interesting thing is the the main witness for the prosecution, as it were, um, was a, a nine-year-old little girl who. Um, you know, came out with all these fantastic stories about her own family, so her mother and her brothers and sisters. You know, she said that they were all involved in witchcraft, right. um, and, it, and it was her testimony alone that that ended up um, meaning that, that they were convicted and and hanged. So... I'm
1: surprised that um, at the belief, um, what what they believed, what a little girl was saying, more so than than everyone else.
2: Yeah, I think it, I think it was more of a case of any. Um, Any evidence would do, to be honest. And and, and we are talking about, you know, 400 years ago. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) The the legal system wasn't quite as robust as. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but then again, the the last witch was tried in the the 60s, wasn't it? So that's a bit scary.
2: Um, I don't know about that, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's it's not witchcraft isn't a subject I've really um looked into apart from the Pendle witches, which Mm. is just just a story in it's all right, but. Um but yeah, I mean we were still we were still trying witches, I think right up until the nineteenth century um but i'm I'm not quite sure when the last witch trial was
1: so how many witches were there? how many Pendle witches were there
2: um there was at least a dozen um
1: okay i I always used to think it was three or something like this
2: no no there was there was two families um there was also um some uh people who who were who came from the Salmsbury area near Preston. So there were three women from Salmsbury who were also implicated. Um they were they were sort of lumped in with the with the trial of the Pendle witches. There was also um a, a woman from a place called Gisbon, which is um was at the time in Yorkshire. It's now in Lancashire, it's not too far from here, um since the the border changes in the you know the early 1970s okay uh, but, but she was also included in the trial uh, she was found guilty and she was sent to york and hanged at york very close to york uh
1: really uh, oh wow so maybe some spooky goings on there um yeah. but Craig, have you have you found that people have had Ghostly sightings of of these witches, or or anything like that, or that Pendle Hill itself is a kind of a haunted area now.
2: Um, Pendle Hill itself isn't haunted um, as as such. Um, the the trial took place in in Lancaster, and the executions were were carried out in Lancaster. They were they were hanged, um, and then the bodies were disposed of in Lancaster. So. Um, Again, it's it's a sort of there's there's myths and legends that have grown up around Pendle Hill. In mm-hmm. fact, Pendle, Pendle Hill is actually a little bit better known, believe it or not, for uh, UFO sightings. Really?
1: Than,
2: yeah, rather than ghost sightings. I didn't
1: realize that.
2: Yeah, there's there've been quite a number of uh, of UFO sightings over the years in the area. Um, but I mean, if it, it, you know, the area itself is. It does have an atmosphere. There's not not two ways about it. Um, it is a very atmospheric place. You know, you can walk up to the top of the hill. It's about, um, it's almost uh, two thousand feet above sea level, so it's quite high. Okay. So
1: have you done? Uh, you've made this uh, trek then?
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's hard work just because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's steep. It's yeah. So it is very steep on one side, uh, but yeah, you know, you get you get to the top of the hill, and and the views are around, uh, you know, on a clear day or. absolutely fantastic so it's it's a very atmospheric place but yeah i mean you you know you do get a lot of people especially on on youtube and and things like that making videos um you know on top of pendle hill and and saying that you know the the, there's lots of ghosts running around up there and witches and (laughs) unfortunately that's that's not the case but there are places around here that are haunted you know there are um there are, you know, houses and, and, and big stately homes, um, yeah. and 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 various various other areas. There are there are a couple of places, uh, very close to where I live that I've had ghost sightings over the years. One down by, uh, down by the river. Um, I'm quite close to the River Ribble. Right. Um, and, and there's a bridge that crosses over the River Ribble, and there's uh, I had a report of, uh, somebody seeing a lady um, and a young child, um actually walking across the fields and then walking off the bank of the river and walking across the river in in midair
1: okay that's very Uh, interesting because you know one of the things that i wanted to ask you craig is do you actually have you always kind of like believed in in ghosts or now that you've done all this research do you think that maybe there's something a bit scientific like a an electromagnetic imprint or do you think you know that replays itself maybe or, or that these are like completely conscious ghosts that are out to frighten us mortals <laughs>
2: well yeah there's there's various um there's various different theories about you know different types of ghosts so so yeah you're right there are some that, that are sort of uh they're called uh, recorded type ghosts so these tend to be the ones that that reappear at the same time on the same day every year Usually, if there's been some sort of uh, event, let's say, so if there's been a tragic event, um, it's almost like there's a, there's, there's a, 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 an energy.
1: Oh, uh, like a time. triggering, maybe.
2: Yeah, that keeps replaying itself. So it's almost like an old video cassette that keeps replaying itself all the time. So that's that's one type of ghost. The other type of ghost is, is a sort of um, more interactive, and they tend to be the, the poltergeist type. Ghosts,
1: okay, um, that, that and that's the one that you've had experience of personally, isn't it?
2: Um, well, y- yes and no. You see, the 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 experience. There was, well, yeah, there was two experiences really. One of them, one of them was definitely poltergeist activity. I um, didn't see anything. It was just an object which was thrown uh, mm. and, broke and broke. And in fact, that's. Uh, That's a recurring theme. I've had other stories. Other people tell me stories about um, poltergeist activity where objects have been thrown. Um, And another type of ghost is almost it. it, It's what investigators have now started to term time slips. So it's almost like you're looking back in time. So you see something happening that's happened in the past. Okay. And and it's almost like you're looking back into time. There's a place in Liverpool, actually, called Bolt Street, um, which has had a number of uh, reports of people who think or say that they've actually gone back in time, so everything around them has changed. They're still physically there, okay, but everything around them has changed, and it's almost as if they've gone back in time. or the or the seeing things as they were in that place, yeah. From, from a from a time gone by, and um, can
1: anybody see them from that time? Has has anyone ever reported that they were in this kind of time slip and somebody they actually saw somebody that was able to interact with them in any way?
2: N- no, it tends to be that only the person who's who's who feels like they've gone back in time. Okay. Um, they can see everything around them, but people people don't interact with them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yes. So
2: it's, it's it's almost like they're watching a film. Yeah. But they're in the film. Yes.
1: They're... Oh wow. Um.
2: And and I've had i had several reports of, of of that type of phenomena, and I think that, that one of the um uh ghosts that that, that I saw when I went to the um. Conservative club years ago. I think that this shadow man type character, mm. um, which, which is actually a, a, a phenomenon that that crops up um, a lot. You know, you can do research on the internet and if you just go into any search engine and just put, you know, shadow man. It will bring up, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of hits of of people who have seen this type of phenomenon. And and it tends to be a very tall, thin figure um, wearing a hat.
1: Oh, that's so creepy. Which
2: which, which is actually, it is is actually quite frightening. And when I saw it, um, this is 30 odd years ago, and it it was actually when I was working in in the building, I was was stood behind the bar and I saw this, this figure appear on the other side of the bar. Um it was it was very frightening to be honest. It was very scary. But when you see something like that, it can actually take you quite a long time. Um to to, to try and process it. To mm. try and work it out and, and think well, To believe well, that you actually
1: saw saw what, what you saw. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What, what did I actually see? Was it was it a ghost, was it a trick of light? Was it my imagination? Um but, yeah that's 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 one that, 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 that's another phenomena that um, that people report quite a lot but the thing with the time slips is that sometimes we can be here in this time now and it's almost like a window opens to a to a time in the past and you're looking through that window
1: Ah, uh, like like a portal
2: yeah exactly so you don't necessarily have to have to go through the portal you can you can look through it from our time, Um, and there are theories that some ghosts are actually that type of of phenomenon.
1: Right, okay, I get what you mean. Because the other thing that I was going to ask you, I know that you had a number of experiences when you worked um, at that club, and what I was going to ask you was, um, prior to you having those experiences, had anybody told you you may see this thing? Or was it just afterwards that they opened up once yeah. you had said that you'd seen it?
2: Yeah, it, it was afterwards. Um, and in fact, immediately after I saw this uh, this dark figure, um, there, was un- there was only me in the room um, when I actually saw this. But the uh, the guy who ran the club, the student of the club, was, was upstairs, and I actually rang up on the on the internal phone and I said, Danny, you know, I need you to come down now because something really weird's happened. And he came downstairs and I said, I've just seen the figure. It was like a ghost. Mm. And, it, and he, he just said, all oh, right, you've seen it as well.
1: You? <laughs> oh, okay. um, and you're like, great, why didn't you warn me? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks for telling me it could happen. But, but it, it had been seen, you know, quite a few times. He'd seen it himself. He said, yeah, I've seen it. And he, okay. exited, he, he described it exactly the same as, as I'd seen it, um, which, which was, it sort of affirmed, you know, that... Um, that that, i would seen it you know
1: yeah i think there's something reassuring isn't there if someone else has seen something then you know it can help you to process it it's like yes somebody else has seen it too
2: yeah that's right yeah exactly
1: has all this turned you into a a paranormal investigator
2: um it, it has um i i don't tend to go wandering off with a with a video camera. Um, I mean, I have I have been to places and spoken to people. Um, there was a there was a school that that I was invited to uh, to have a look around. Um, again, that's the story in the book.
1: Oh uh, yeah, you've got the story of haunted schools, haunted schools, and, uh, and you've also got uh, the the ghost of, of a boy with no legs.
2: Yeah.
1: Was he yeah, in that that's... school?
2: No. Um, the the Boy With No Legs was, was a, a story that was um, told to me by um, a friend of a friend, actually. So this is an example of um, just talking to somebody one day, saying that I'm, I'm writing a book on the paranormal. Um, and she said, oh, well, I've got a story to tell. You. I live in a house um, where um, as soon as I moved in, um, she knew that, that there was something uh, in the house. And her her daughter, uh, her very young daughter, um, used to talk to um, a little boy, as, as she described him. Um, the lady who told him the story said that she couldn't see him at, at that particular time, but her daughter used to talk to this, this little boy, and she used to say that he had no legs, so she could only see him from the waist up. Okay. Um So whether he whether in 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 life he didn't have any legs. Um, or whether it was because where he was stood, mm-hmm. the, the floor had been raised. Um, she wasn't quite sure, but she did actually see him herself. Shortly after she told me the story, she um, she sent me an email. and said, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I have actually now physically seen him. Although she knew he was there because she could hear him singing. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> That's and horrible. Her, and, and her, daughter, her daughter used to talk to her and play with him. And then she rang me up. Uh, sorry, she sent me an email um, mm. uh, a couple of weeks after the sponsor said, "You're not going to believe this, but I have actually seen it." Uh, he was walking past the window. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah, so yeah, that that that, that was quite interesting. Um, no, the school was was a little bit different. Um, there was there was three um, three definite entities or three definite ghosts um, in the school. Uh, One was of a little boy, again, Mm -hmm. Um, but interestingly, he used to uh, enjoy playing the drums in the music room. Um, There was also um, a very tall, thin figure, uh, again, that that they used to see um, looking out of the windows, even when the school was was closed, everything was locked up.
1: Wow, Um, okay.
2: They they used to see this figure looking out out of the window, and then... The, the most incredible one, the lot actually, and this lady had been singing broad daylight, and everybody, everybody who went to the school knows knows the story, the staff, the pupils, and everything else. Um, she, the, the 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 school is built on um, land where there used to be a church and a mm. graveyard. Okay. Um, and obviously, when they when when they built the school, they had to demolish the church, and and they had to to remove the bodies and, and return them somewhere else. And they don't um, like
1: being disturbed, do they? This is one thing about spirits universally, they don't really like being disturbed.
2: No, 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 they don't. Um, but this, this particular spirit was, um, was described as, as, as a, a lady and she used to be seen uh, walking through the canteen area of the school. Um, okay. And and they they nicknamed her the wailing woman because she she was crying she would cry all the way when she was when she was being seen. Right. Um, you know you know really quite um, hysterically, and she would walk from one side of the canteen through the canteen area and out through the wall on the other side, and she, she'd been seen dozens of times by, by various different people. Um, and when I looked at the um, the maps, the old maps of the area, you could see that there used to be a road, which, uh, there was all houses and everything in the area, there were all mill houses, mm. and there was a road which, when you overlay a map of, of the area now, the school, the the road goes right through where the canteen is.
1: Okay, so, that's interesting. I was going to say, did did you ever find out what used to be there? So that puts it into context of yeah, what she's think, actually reliving.
2: Yeah, and at the bottom of the road, the way that she was going was the um, the graveyard, the cemetery. Wow. So, so she was obviously walking towards the cemetery down the road. Um, you know, grieving, as it were. Okay.
1: That's so, so interesting. I mean, in, in all these years of experience, obviously you've had 30 years of experience now in collecting these stories. Have you found that some types of building are more likely to be haunted? Is it mainly the churches and the schools? And is the graveyard scenario always a, a hot spot for this activity?
2: No, it's, it's, it's what's underneath um, or what used to be there that's important. So, for instance, this school um, is only about ten years ten years old, it was only built about 10, 12 years ago. Oh okay. So, so it's it's what, it's what used to be there which is, is causing the, the paranormal activity. I mean obviously you know houses, older houses, um maybe tend to uh tend to have more activity because more people have lived in them.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, but
2: you know you can you can have relatively uh, new Buildings, like I say, the school, for instance, it's all about what you used to be there, it's, it's all about what, what they're built on, um, it's, it's, it's all about what's happened there in the past as opposed to. The actual fabric of, of, of the building itself.
1: Oh, okay, I would see. I was wondering if, like in the case of the the school, that they do say that um, children have got a better receptivity to seeing spirits than um, than adults say, and I just wondered was that something that played a part. But it's all what's underneath.
2: Yeah, I think it's what I think it's what used to be there. I mean, in, interestingly, um, there was a lot of um, uh, old mill houses uh, on on the area. And the um, the little the little boy, the ghost of the little boy who plays the drums in the music room. Um the music room's actually on the third floor of the building. Okay. So you know, obviously if there's something if if there was if there was a building there before, it would have if it was a replay us, it would have to have been uh, the building that was there before would have had to have been the same height. As well ah, as I see as what kind. you mean. Yeah. Um, if it was just replaying, but the, the, the fact that he he seems to be interactive. He yeah. Seems
1: be he's interactive. he's actually making these physical drums from yes. this day and age move. Yeah. And yeah. is yeah. it is it kind of a very impactful um, force or just a little?
2: Well, the the guy that the guy that showed me around and told me the stories one of the uh, one of the caretakers, um, he said that they can hear him playing the drums from the other side of. Um, of the building
1: Um, right so so that's pretty pretty loud then pretty forceful
2: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely um yeah and 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 there's also um in the same area of the school there's also uh they've had sightings of of this dark figure um that they've seen looking out of the window as well um sort of like passing, um, passing classroom doors so.
1: Oh, that is just too terrifying. I I'd be scared to have gone to school if I'd gone to to a school like that. But I want to quickly ask you this question, Craig, because I'm not sure whether it's something you've ever experienced. When I was little, I went through a period of time, I think it was about a year or so, when um, between the ages of six and a half to seven, I did used to uh, see spirits. It actually happened when my dog um, passed away that I had known since it was a a puppy. And I think that's where this kind of portal opened up for me and I saw different things like that um, but some of the things it began with seeing him and then it went on to seeing people and from what the neighbours used to say to me it was kind of like what you said oh the, there was, used to be a park there where, where your yeah. apartment was so I think it's just they were going through like that but one of the things that used to happen when I did see some of these people was um, I, I would see them they would look like they actually saw me but they, it was as if they were stopping me from screaming It was as if there was this telepathic link or energetic thing and they were stopping me from making um, any sound and people used to say to me, well, why didn't you scream if you saw that thing? And I I was just wondering if you've ever come across that kind of type of an interaction, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, people react in different ways, don't they? Um, And and whether or not these um, spirits or... or, or, um, you know, ghosts or, or whatever you want to call them, mm. um, can, can sort of, um, you know, change the way that, that we react mm. uh, towards them uh, is a very good question. I mean, I'm sure that, that there are a lot, that there are scientific reasons for something like that or, or you know, there's, there's some sort of energy perhaps, or some sort of force um, that's being exerted that, that you're not aware of but is making you act in a certain way. Um, sure i've I've not had experience of that myself, but you know you've you've got to stay open minded about these things, and just because you've not had experience yourself mm. um, doesn't necessarily mean to say that that you know those things don't happen.
1: Sure, I get what you mean. So, Craig Bryant, we're going through this period of time where lots of people are staying at home now having staycations. Do you think that you may organise a, a, a travel tour of all these haunted parts of, <laughs> of Lancashire? Um,
2: yeah, I, I, probably not. I, it's, it's not, I mean, pe- pe- people, can, people can buy the book and, and from Amazon. Uh, they can read the book. Um, you know, the, the locations that that are mentioned in the book, the vast majority of them, um, you could probably visit yourself anyway. I mean, some of them are are private residences. some of them are obviously, as I say, a school. Uh, Um, Yeah. You know, people people could could come to to the area of Pendle Hill and and soak up the atmosphere. Is Um, that
1: a tourist spot now?
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 People come from from all around the country. Yeah. I think even
1: America sometimes. Yeah
2: yeah they come up from all around the world yeah there are um there are a few little villages dotted around the area um that are quite quite well known and sort of um uh you know use the Pendle which is as a as a good marketing tool shall we say so um you know villages like barley and darrenham and places like that are really picturesque anyway they are beautiful little villages yeah um but but they do sort of um play a little bit on the, on the local legend stuff as well, which is great, you know, it, it's, 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 it's all a bit of fun and it's, it's interesting and it's historical and it's, it's yeah, useful it's so to, to visit, you know. You
1: can learn a lot of history that way. So it's, your book yeah. is called the, the Shadow Man of Accrington. How many yeah. stories are, are in it?
2: Oh, blimey, no, you're asking me a question. Um, oh, well, there's, there's a couple of chapters which have got short stories in them. So, so shorter stories than, um, than, than the, um, the chapters that are all, you know, each chapter is about one particular story. There's probably about 30, maybe 40 stories in there.
1: Oh, wow. A story or two for every year that you've been researching this. <laughs> yeah, some, something like that. <laughs> and it'd be great for, for Halloween for people to, to read yeah. these. Have yeah, you it, got yeah. a second book planned?
2: Um, I'm doing some research at the minute into UFOs in, uh, in, in Lancashire. Ah, oh, have
1: you? You've gone from ghosts to to, to USO. Do people sometimes get a ghost mixed up with a UFO? Do you think?
2: Um, there's a possibility. I mean, I'm I'm also still collecting um paranormal stories as well, and I've I've been I've been getting some stories together from from more of the local area actually to here, so from around Pendle Hill itself. Um, so, there are um as I said, there are a few villages in the area and, and there just seem to be some really interesting stories i mean there's, there's three stories um that that I got from locals in in the village where I live just just in this small area and I, and and I do know that there are other um there are a couple of houses in the village which are, um reputed and haunted which I'm, I'm trying to sort of um you know talk to the owners and see whether they'd be happy for me to to have a look around and that, but obviously, you know, some people are quite private. Yeah. Um. But yeah, ghosting UFOs. I, I I do think there is a crossover definitely. Mm. Um. And it's something that I'm, I'm looking into and, and researching for for possibly a second book. It, it depends how much um, evidence I get together. And and also, you know, I like to write stories which are um, unique that, that that people haven't heard before. Um. Mm. Uh, you know, rather than just trotting out the same old. Um, ghost stories, like, <laughs> you know the 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 White Lady of Salisbury Hall or the the Green Lady of Lytham Hall or you know Horton Tower, those those sort of stories that that have been published a lot. And, yeah. and the the perfectly valid stories, but I want people to read stories that they've never heard before, which, which is which is why I wrote the book
1: rise okay because obviously when you've had some experiences and when people give their actual personal um accounts to you as well whether it's seeing a, a ghost or these you've also mentioned strange lights in the sky i think that will be the yeah. more ufo sightings it's good to get yeah. that personal perspective and if there's anybody out there listening to this now that does have a story that they think they they'd like to talk to you about how do people get in touch with you
2: Okay, well, I've got a website which is um, craigbryant.co.uk and you can contact me through the website. Um, I'm also on Facebook as well. You can contact me through Facebook. Um, Again, there's a link on the website, so you can either email me or contact me through Facebook or Twitter. The links are on the website.
1: Ah, wonderful. And your book is currently available on Amazon?
2: It is, yeah. Um, Right. People just need to put my name in. Craig Bryant um, and, and the book should pop up. There is actually a Craig Bryant who's um, a professional um, uh, ping pong player. <laughs> player, 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 player oh, wow. Well, so. well, you know, ping pong
1: balls, they're <laughs> nice <laughs> yes. and light. Nice. I can imagine the ghosts having a great time <laughs> with yeah. them. But, um, but, but yeah, they just yeah. need to make sure it's the shadow man of Accrington
2: Yes, and, and not uh, how to play Table
1: text. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great stuff. It's been great to speak to you today. Um, do let us know if you um, bring out a, a second book.
2: I will, thank you. Oh, okay. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been great.
1: <laughs> oh, wonderful. You take care of yourself. Bye thank for you. now.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye. The Shadow Man of the Accrington Conservative Club. Built in 1890, this magnificent Grade 2 listed building is currently in a dire state of disrepair. Situated on Cannon Street in Accrington Town Centre, the building was briefly a nightclub until 2003, when a patron tragically died outside the premises. Prior to this, the Conservative Club regularly held dances on its magnificent third floor ballroom, one of only two sprung dance floors and the other being the Tower Ballroom in Blackpool and had regular private parties on its two second-floor bars and function rooms. The ground floor was for members only, with two full-size snooker tables built by the Riley Snooker and Billiard Table Company. There was dusty old red velvet seating and dark wood panelling that oozed history, but the building felt dark and oppressive, and uncomfortable at times, with an atmosphere all of its own. Following the demise of the nightclub, which was named Churchill's, after Winston, the building was closed and has suffered from vandalism and a fire which gutted the premises. The Conservative Club was the largest of its kind in the country and was built by W.J. Morley and G. Wood House, funded by Mr. Howard, who was partner with Mr. Buller in one of the largest textile machinery factories in Britain. I was told by a former steward of the club, Bernard, that the Cannon Street Baptist Church directly across the road was built as a statement of sobriety and worship to countermand the club and its less-than-sober patrons, and that a competition ensued as to which building could be completed the tallest. I believe that the club won by a good foot. Sadly, it would seem that the church has also fallen into disrepair and is also earmarked to be converted into flats, along with the Conservative club. My association with the club goes back years. My father was a member of the committee for many years and held the position of treasurer. At the time, in the late 70s and 80s, the club was, I believe, bankrolled by Twaits' Brewery of Blackburn and held regular Saturday night dances in the ballroom, to which people came from miles around. When I started working there in the late 1980s as a glass collector while studying at college, the stuffy old-time atmosphere of the ballroom, with its big bands and ageing clientele, were like something from the 1950s. Flares and quiffs were the order of the day, and the smell of brill cream still lingers with me today. If I said that the average age of the patrons was in their 50s and 60s, even then it wouldn't be an understatement. The ballroom was magnificent though. It had a high ceiling with large stained glass windows along either side. At one end of the, was the bar, and at the other, the stage. There was a presence that felt uncomfortable, and many staff refused to go through the back of the stage to check the fire escape. As I turned 18 I graduated to serving behind the bar and occasionally worked on the ground floor as well as stocking the bars on weekend mornings. I also played snooker on a week on a weekday evenings and characters such as Alex Hurricane Higgins occasionally frequented the club and played a few a few games on the old green Bays. My father who played in the Lancashire amateur snooker competitions with Alan was adamant that he played the Hurricane in a friendly match at the club one evening and beat him. Who knows? When I first started working at the club, I remember having a pep talk from Bernard. You know, how to pull a pint with a proper head, all that sort of stuff. Uh, How not to give short measures because it upset the members. Who to look out for as potential troublemakers after a few too many barley wines. That sort of thing. On one particular quiet midweek evening, I was manning the members bar on my own and thoroughly bored. The bar itself was fairly long and straight, maybe about 25 foot or so from memory, with an opening to my left into the snooker room. It was made of dark wood, perhaps stained oak, and was lacquered. It added to the already dark atmosphere of the room. There was nobody playing snooker that evening, and I recall not many people had been in for a drink. Bernard was pottering around upstairs, leaving me alone for most of the evening. As I stood with my back against the rest of the bar, the opening to the snooker room to my left, I suddenly saw a figure out of the corner of my eye. As I turned my head to see who it was, I presumed a customer had somehow slipped past my gaze and gone into the adjoining room. I saw the outline of a tall man, dressed in long dark clothes with what looked like an angular hat, rather like a fedora, leaning on the bar. It had no facial features at all. The figure was opaque, like a thick mist, but it looked substantial. It had no arms that I could see and because it was behind a waist high bar, I couldn't see any legs. It was leaning over towards me, seemingly looking for something down on the floor or behind the bar. The figure was tall and thin, much thinner than a real person, and looked stretched, almost as if it was being pulled from both ends. All this was indelibly etched into my memory, despite the figure slowly fading to a mist and disappearing after only a few seconds. At first I felt amazement, but then suddenly my heart started to beat faster as I panicked and realised what I had seen. I had just seen an actual ghost. No sooner than the figure had faded away than I grabbed the internal telephone and rang the upstairs boy to see if Bernard was there and asked him, when he answered, to come down. He could tell I was somewhat disturbed as I blurted out something about a ghost. In a fairly calm manner, he explained to me that there was indeed a ghost that occasionally manifested itself at the end of the bar and that quite a few members of staff, himself included, had seen it. Although quite a few people had seen the apparition, nobody knew who he was or what he was. But they all described it the same, a tall, shadowy man. And Bernard said that when he saw it, it looked stretched. He said that he had noticed that too. I would have liked to have seen the figure again, in truth, because I didn't feel any malevolence coming from it. But despite working on the ground floor by many times, and often locking up at night on my own, I only ever saw the apparition that one time. Thinking about it now, I believe that the ghost may have been a recording type of manifestation rather than an apparition that was aware of me and my surroundings. It did not interact with me, or with any others who said they'd seen it too, And I cannot say whether it was conscious or aware that I was present in the same space. I did not feel it was threatening. It was simply just there. Was this an example of a phenomenon that is now recognised as a shadow man? Many religions and beliefs describe shadowy spiritual beings or supernatural entities, such as shadows or shades, creatures that have long been the staple of folklore and ghost stories. Perhaps my encounter was indeed with one of these shadowy figures. The term shadow person or shadow man was not popularised in modern paranormal circles until the early 2000s, thanks mainly to the late-night American radio paranormal broadcaster such as Coast to Coast AM, hosted by the late Art Bell. When I had this encounter, the term and phenomena were not known to me, and they would long been forgotten. Other parts of the club were haunted too. The cellar had a dark presence and a foreboding atmosphere, I often felt uneasy going down the stairs on my own to change barrels or bring crates of bottles up to restock the bar. It was dimly lit with a low ceiling and a constant damp, musty smell. It felt wholly unwelcoming. There was an ingenious dumb way to lift that ran up to all three bars so that heavy crates could be loaded and sent up to where they were needed. I do recall some fellow members of staff who went up up and down in there as a joke. One incident stands out when I was asked to whitewash the cellar walls for some extra holiday spending money and this was very very frightening. So that particular week I spent a few hours a day down there whitewashing the cellar walls. In truth I was uneasy as I didn't like the atmosphere and the claustrophobic nature of the low stone ceilings and cold stone floors and walls. I would leave in the afternoon feeling chilled to the bone. There had been an occasional bang or strange noise when I was down there but I put it down to pipes settling in the barrels and got on with the task at hand. On that final morning however I went down early and felt more uneasy than normal. Despite it being early summer and fairly warm outside it felt absolutely freezing in the cellar and so cold that I recall seeing my breath condensing as I breathed out. This was most definitely out of the ordinary and disturbing. As I descended the stairs I was aware of something oppressive and unpleasant and for a split second I saw a figure standing at the far end of the cellar against the wall. I can tell you that the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and stayed up, as I tried to focus on what it was. The cellar lights were on, but they were quite dim, and really didn't illuminate the whole of the cellar, particularly the fire wall. To this day, I'm convinced there was something evil in the cellar that morning, and that it was thoroughly unpleasant. The sudden drop in temperature would seem to suggest classic paranormal activity. The figure was, as with ghosts in the upstairs bar, very tall, but in this case seemed to stoop almost to avoid touching the low ceiling. I'm six foot two, and the ceiling just cleared my head, so whatever this was, it was much taller than I am. I remember for a few seconds it looked at me, almost leering. I thought I I could make out its facial features, perhaps a beard and straggly unkept hair, and it was dressed in some sort of workman's outfit, wearing a heavy coat and what looked like a cap. Unlike the apparition on the ground floor, this was most definitely aware of my presence and altogether more unpleasant and sinister. It was also easier to make out, less shadowy and much more of a clear apparition. I breathed a sigh of relief when it suddenly disappeared, as quickly as it had appeared and I hurriedly went back upstairs feeling shaken, quite afraid. By this time Bernard had retired and the new steward, a guy called John, was convinced that there wasn't a ghost in his cellar and shrugged off my story as little more than fantasy, which annoyed me a little bit. He must have seen that I was visibly shaken, and I refused to finish the last bit of wall down in the cellar. I took payment for what I'd done and vowed never to go back down on my own. Unlike the ground floor ghosts, this felt altogether different and certainly more threatening. I felt it was fully aware of my presence, and I felt hugely uneasy when it looked directly at me. This entity, whatever it was, was definitely there and was malevolent and threatening. Who was this character, and why was he so attached to the cellar? Whoever he was, at that moment, he didn't want me in his space at all. The third incident of paranormal activity I witnessed at the club again happened in daylight, and this was on a Saturday morning whilst I was up in the ballroom stocking the bar. There was only myself and John in the building, and he was busy stocking the ground floor bar and changing barrels in the cellar. John was adamant that he never saw anything in the cellar and was somewhat annoyed when I often refused to go down on my own. I had loaded the dumbwaiter with crates of bottles and after sending the lift on its way trudged up the three flights of winding stairs to the ballroom. I used to reach the top and lean over the dark wooden balustrade looking down the centre of the staircase to the ground floor below. There was something that made me keep doing it, perhaps some unknown force was trying to make contact. Whatever the reason something drew me to that staircase time and time again. On this occasion I went into the storeroom and was unloading the crates when I suddenly heard glass smashing in the bar. It was loud and made me jump and I hurried through to see if anybody else was there. There was no one. I was alone. Suddenly I felt uneasy. Looking down I saw glass strewn across the floor behind the bar. How had this happened I wonder? From the pieces of glass, I realised that it was a barrel-handed pint glass. These types of glasses are rare now, but imagine a heavy, round, thick glass with dimple sides and a handle. They were popular back in the day with working men who demanded a proper pint of bitter in a real pint glass with a handle. These glasses were kept above the bar, hanging on very sturdy hooks, very deeply curved, so as to make sure the glasses didn't fall off. In order to get a glass off the hook, You had to lift it upwards and sideways, and because of its weight and shape, there was absolutely no way it could slip or fall off. All the glasses were hanging there apart from one empty hook. I was astonished. I stood and looked at the shattered glass, trying to work out how it could have fallen on the floor with such force without being physically lifted off. There was no one else around, and there was no way somebody could have got through into the bar smashed the glass and exited the same way as I was coming into the bar a couple of seconds after hearing the noise. My only conclusion was that someone or something had physically lifted the glass off the hook and thrown it on the floor. At this point, I started to feel somewhat disturbing like an actual physical threat. I felt like there was something there that didn't like me. Whether this was a reaction to a very clear example of paranormal activity or a change in the atmosphere that I was sensing, it's difficult to say. What I do question is if this was a natural occurrence for example the glass somehow fell off the hook why did it happen at that particular time? To my knowledge nobody in the club had ever mentioned witnessing a similar incident themselves. Why did the glass fall off a substantial hook which was screwed into the ceiling of the bar and undamaged at the very moment I was in the stockroom alone in broad daylight? If there were, for instance, vibrations that caused it to fall, how did it lift up half an inch so that the handle could clear the hook, and why just this one glass? Why not others? Even after all these years, I am convinced that that glass was deliberately removed from the hook and thrown to the floor by an unseen paranormal force in order to frighten me. It wasn't long afterwards that I finished working at the club. I mentioned my experiences in passing to a few people who frequented the club and although nobody admitted seeing or feeling anything out of the ordinary, the looks and nods that some gave me, including those of my own father when I later told him, led me to believe that I wasn't the only one who had witnessed some strange occurrences in the club. Old buildings like the Apprington Conservative Club have seen years of history and in my opinion it's not surprising that they hold echoes of the past within their structure and foundations. There was a dark, unwelcoming atmosphere in the parts of the building that I knew. The old dusty furnishings and the air of neglect only added to the atmosphere. Although my time spent there was over 30 years ago, these incidents have remained with me as if they happened yesterday. I remain convinced that there were at least two ghost or entities in the building, and I would not be surprised if there were more. And I witnessed an incident that can only be described as poltergeist activity. Whether the malevolent cellar ghost roamed around the building and was responsible for the smashed pint glass on the third floor, I don't know. But it will be interesting to see if there are any further manifestations when the building is finally renovated.